Welcome to a brand new episode of the Jam Pack Report today for June the 18th of 2020. And we're getting this one in before tonight's EA Play Live conference. I want to bring this point up because a lot of people will be asking, where's the information about Titanfall 3? Or what about that Apex Legends crossplay or anything like that? Hypothetically, if those things do happen, uh, we are going to be discussing everything EA Play Live related on tomorrow's episode of the show for June the 19th, so stay tuned, subscribe, and come back for that. But we have plenty of news to dive into today, including the fact that Cyberpunk 2077 has been delayed yet again, this time until November the 19th, but you will get to learn more about what is in store next week. CD Projekt Red has postponed Cyberpunk 2077 yet again. It moved the release date back another two long months from September the 17th to November the 19th. The retro-futuristic RPG is ready in terms of gameplay and content, but the studio suggests it needs a bit of extra time to make sure all of the Cyberpunk 2077 systems work harmoniously, squash a ton of bugs, and balance the mechanics. CD Projekt Red previously delayed the game from April the 16th to September for not dissimilar reasons. While the new date might be frustrating for those who are eager to play it, you won't have to wait too much longer to find out more about what is in store. A Night City Wire livestream that will provide a deeper look into the game takes place on June the 25th. CD Projekt Red also noted that it's given some journalists access to Cyberpunk 2077. You'll be able to check out their previews right after the stream ends. When November the 19th does roll around, Cyberpunk 2077 will drop on PC, PS4, and Xbox One, and it is also scheduled to hit Google Stadia by the end of the year. The delay also shunts Cyberpunk 2077 to around the time when PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X are expected to hit shelves. Both have a holiday 2020 release window. You will be able to play it on those consoles at the outset, but you might have to wait a bit longer for an enhanced next-generation version of Cyberpunk 2077. So, first and foremost, this is disappointing. Yet again, the game has been delayed, but again, as the saying always goes, a bad game is always bad, but a game that gets delayed is eventually good. Something along those lines. Miyamoto, you know the drill. Uh, but with that being taken into consideration, there might be a bit more going on behind the scenes, because November the 19th is a Thursday according to my calendar, which means this is a very strange release. You don't see too many Thursday releases, and I want to check and make sure that is in fact correct. This is going to be on a Thursday. Could this be releasing alongside the next generation console? The PlayStation 5 or the Xbox Series X? That's my big question. If they do delay this game and they are able to squeeze in an enhanced version of Cyberpunk 2077 and effectively make it a next generation version of the game, uh, this would make it one of the most powerful launch games of all time. Now again, this is all a hypothetical, but during next week's Night City Wire, you could be seeing some information that does signal a very big shift in the marketing and release of Cyberpunk itself. Now that is all very speculative. There is nothing grounded in that reality, but at the same time, it would not shock me if this was a shift uh, that the team did choose to make, because it would certainly make an even bigger splash for this year's biggest game, or what is arguably this year's biggest game. Of course, The Last of Us Part Two, another massive sensation, but it doesn't have the install base potential of Cyberpunk 2077 because of the fact that it is a console exclusive in terms of The Last of Us Part 2. 
But we will see more during next week's big live stream. I'm excited to see what they have in store. And November the 19th is now the new release date for Cyberpunk 2077, right in the midst of that holiday 2020 timeframe for the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X. Now, a follow-up from a story we've been covering for a couple of days now. Insomniac has confirmed Spider-Man Miles Morales is like Uncharted Lost Legacy in terms of scope. Insomniac has issued an update on Spider-Man Miles Morales after Sony's recent PlayStation 5 event sparked confusion among fans about the nature of the game. Spider-Man Miles Morales is like Uncharted Lost Legacy in terms of scope, creative director Brian Horton said today of the holiday 2020 PlayStation 5 game in a PlayStation blog post. The Lost Legacy was a superb Uncharted spinoff, but it was shorter than the mainline games. The expectation then is Spider-Man Miles Morales will be a shorter game than its predecessor. It is not a remaster of Insomniac's wonderful PlayStation 4 Spider-Man game with extra content, as some had thought based on comments from a Sony executive in a newspaper interview. Rather, it is a standalone game. Spider-Man Miles Morales is set during the winter, about a year after the events of the first game. As such, New York is covered in snow, and just before Christmas, a war between an energy corp and a criminal army breaks out, with Miles' home in Harlem at the center. What has been the subject of debate since Spider-Man Miles Morales was announced is how big the game is. Here is Horton clearing it up. Quote, you will experience a full story arc with Miles, one that's more akin to a game like Uncharted The Lost Legacy in terms of overall scope. Marvel Spider-Man Miles Morales is an important, heartfelt, emotional, and essential experience to expanding the Marvel Spider-Man universe, and we hope it will be for you as well. End quote. As for gameplay and visual improvements, Horton said to expect near-instant loading, ray tracing, 3D audio, and for the game to show off the DualSense controller. The characters have been upgraded with 4D scans and improved skin shading for extra realism, as well as spline-based hair that moves more naturally. Insomniac has also updated many of the city's assets. It is clear at this point that Spider-Man Miles Morales is not Spider-Man 2, although that game is, of course, in the works. How couldn't it be, given the incredible critical and sales success of the first game? In a blog post, Horton hinted at this game while touching on the fate of Peter Parker. Quote, many of you fans have wondered if Peter Parker is okay, Horton said. Don't worry, we still have much more of Peter's story left to tell. But this game is all about Miles, a critical part of our Spider-Man universe, and you won't want to miss what happens, end quote. I suppose the only question to answer is, is there a version of Spider-Man Miles Morales that will also be released on the PlayStation 4? A very good question uh, that is posed at the end of the article. I think this is confirming that you probably won't be seeing a PlayStation 4 version of the game, because as a standalone title, it makes more sense to make this a launch game for the PlayStation 5. And if I had to guess, I would say that this game probably came about because they needed a holiday 2020 launch title on the PlayStation 5 that would make waves. And even with this being a smaller game overall as compared to the original Spider-Man, it is still going to be very significant in terms of the traction that it gets and the attention that fans give it when it launches this holiday season. Now, I'm excited to see the updated models. I'm excited to see the updated city. And overall, I think it's going to be a very good showcase of the potential of the PlayStation 5. Uh, but if you look back to Uncharted Lost Legacy, it is a game that you can finish in roughly a couple of days. It is not something that is large and fleshed out. And my question is, how many side quests are there going to be in Spider-Man Miles Morales? Will this be a game that can continually hold my attention? Of course, the replayability of Spider-Man itself is very, very high 
high because there's always crime to be fought in New York City and you can certainly swing around doing that. But it does have to have some level of depth because as I said on yesterday's show, right now the holiday 2020 uh, release window, especially for the next generation consoles exclusively, is looking just a bit bleak. And that's just my two cents, but that is the vibe that I am picking up on. But definitely a good confirmation from Insomniac to set the record straight once and for all. But a Google Stadia stream has been added to the Summer of Endless E3. Dear Diary, it's only day 7 of the Summer of Endless E3, but I fear it may never end. Stops are continually added to this perpetual march, seemingly quicker than the events themselves take place. Like a hydra cutting off one head causes two more to spring up. Summer technically ends with the autumnal equinox in late September, but there is very real concern that E3 will persist anyway. I grow weary. Here is another one for the calendar on July, I almost said June, July the 14th, you can join us for a look at some of the games coming to Stadia later this year. What should we expect when we are expecting? Word comes via Jeff Keighley's Summer Game Fest, which is partnered up with the Stadia Connect, that we will see some of the games coming later this year and a few surprises. It's about time Stadia makes good with the exclusives if it wants broader appeal as a platform. Securing Sirius Sam 4 for a while was a nice touch, but it needs more stuff like that. Will more in that vein be announced on July the 14th? Maybe, but Google did not do much to propagate the idea. I'm done with Stadia. Uh, quite frankly, I don't think there's anything that can fully redeem this platform at this point in time. Because of the fact that they have dropped the ball so much on generating any kind of amount of hype for this title, uh, or it, excuse me, for the entire platform, it really does seem to be uh, dead in the water. It seems to be something that is going to go down in history as a relic of the past that can't really even be kept, except for the fact that you have a Stadia controller and a Chromecast that you likely already use for Netflix anyway, if you have an older television. Uh, so... I'm not going to be tuning in. Of course, if there's anything significant that comes out of the show, I will let you guys know on an episode of the Jam Pack Report, but July the 14th is going to be the day you can tune in and see what you are going to be potentially playing on the Google Stadia later this year. Guinness has reinstated Billy King of Kong Mitchell's world records, and this has a lot of people up in arms. Billy Video Game Player of the Century Mitchell has been vindicated. Today, Guinness World Records reinstated the Donkey Kong and Pac-Man records that were stripped from Mitchell in 2018. Once again, Mitchell holds the first perfect score on Pac-Man and several records for the highest score in Donkey Kong. He also redeemed recognition as the first player to reach the kill screen on Donkey Kong and the first gamer to score 1 million points on Donkey Kong. Mitchell, also known as the King of Kong, had his records expunged by Guinness and Twin Galaxies after an investigation alleged some of his performances on Donkey Kong were not reached on arcade hardware. In May, we heard that Mitchell, also a hot sauce mogul, planned to take Twin Galaxies to court. While Twin Galaxies has not changed its decision, Guinness shared a video explaining its reversal. According to Guinness World Records Editor-in-Chief Craig Glenday, Guinness reviewed existing evidence, newly sourced eyewitness testimony, new expert gameplay analyses, and hardware verification. Guinness didn't necessarily rule out foul play, but found that there just wasn't sufficient evidence to support the disqualification across the board. After reviewing Billy's gameplay and reproducing similar games myself, I can honestly say that this is legitimate gameplay. Robbie Lakeman, the current Donkey Kong high record holder, said in a statement shared by Ars Technica. I do not see a reason why Billy would need to even use MAME or save states to film both games with this style of play. Sadly, this saga is not yet over. Twin Galaxies and Guinness are now split, and the hearing for Mitchell's Twin Galaxies defamation case is scheduled for July the 6th. 
I'm not sure who to believe at this point. Now, a lot of people are saying that Billy Mitchell is still going to be guilty of, uh, of course, cheating to get his way into the world record books. But I don't think it's good to build a case on the fact that you can't prove wrong was done. That seems a bit sketchy. If you don't have enough information to build a case, that still alludes to the fact that there might be a couple of elements uh, that are a bit iffy here. Now, of course, for those that don't know, the King of Kong has been uh, a name that has been thrown around in the world of gaming since the 80s, really. Uh, It was and continues to be a legendary title that Billy Mitchell holds, and it does seem to have been called into question in the past few months whether the allegations against him in 2018 are holding up, and I suppose we will see what the final straw is on, of course, July the 6th, if you do want to see if Billy Mitchell is in fact innocent. Uh, Now, one thing I do want to make very clear, Billy Mitchell has shaped his entire career around being good at arcade games, and I understand that it is a very important element of his life. But we've been talking about this since 2018, and the gamer in me says, if I got the highest score and I was the best in the world at anything game-related, I would want that in the history books. I totally understand that, and I feel that passion. But the normal office worker in me says, who cares, dude? Get a life. That's Those are the two pieces that I'm dealing with right now. I'm, I'm having an internal struggle when it comes to dealing with Billy Mitchell. But it does seem to be continuing to generate some conversation. So what do you think? Is Billy Mitchell innocent or is he guilty of cheating at a variety of games? Specifically in regards to the Pac-Man record, I believe, is what really kicked off this entire conversation. Interesting continuing story. But today, EA has brought a bunch of games to Steam again. Electronic Arts has released a handful of its games on Steam today. Of course, we talked about this last week, but an update on today, June the 18th, excuse me, what day is it? Who knows? Pandemics wreak havoc on the world of dates. Uh, EA's roster of games on Steam has expanded yet again with the arrival of Titanfall 2, Dead Space 3, The Sims 4, Need for Speed Most Wanted, and A Way Out. EA Access, a subscription service currently available on PS4, Xbox One, and Origin, will eventually make its way to Steam as well. If you wanted to bundle all of these together at some point in the future with a subscription... But of course, the biggest games here include Titanfall 2, Dead Space 3, and A Way Out, in my opinion. Uh, The Sims 4, another major one, just not one that really tickles my fancy. Uh, But for those that are looking for a very solid FPS, Titanfall 2 is the way to go. And Dead Space 3, of course, is the third entry, as the name suggests, in the legendary horror franchise. And finally, to round out today's show, a very cool story. This War of Mine will be added to school reading lists in Poland. 11-Bit Studios, This War of Mine, will be placed on the official reading list for schools in Poland, the first video game to be recognized in that way. The decision was the outcome of a campaign launched in early 2019. The inclusion of This War of Mine on the recommended reading list for Polish students has now been confirmed by the country's Prime Minister, Matusz Morawiecki. Ooh, wow, I mastered that. The Prime Minister of Poland. Of course, games are already being used in education for teaching maths, chemistry, and developing cognitive abilities, but I don't think we've ever encountered a game being officially included in the educational system on a national level as a school reading, said 11-Bit Studios CEO Gregors Michalski in a statement. I am proud to say 11-Bit Studios' work can add to the development of education and culture in our country. This War of Mine, which was first released in 2014, drew on the experiences of the Bosnian people during the siege of Sarajevo, 
in the 1990s. I'm sorry, I'm trying to pronounce these things correctly, but this just is not something that I'm deeply familiar with. I apologize. Uh, it won widespread acclaim for its realistic portrayal of the human cost of war and has sold more than 4.5 million units in April 2019. The game will be included in the Polish reading list for the 2020 and 2021 academic year, but it will only be available to students aged 18 and above due to its age rating in the country. It will be recommended for those studying sociology, ethics, philosophy, and history, and will be available to students of those subjects for free. To mark the game's fifth anniversary, 11-Bit Studios' Paul Feldman wrote an article for GI.biz about keeping this war of mine relevant for years after it launched, and of course you can check out his piece in the link which I have linked down below. But this war of mine, of course, is a phenomenal example of history in gaming. Of course, it is portraying these events, it's showing the emotions, and showcasing the events that unfolded. You see this becoming more of a prominent example in the world of gaming, but there are so many others. The two that come to mind are Assassin's Creed Odyssey and Assassin's Creed Origins. There's a specific educational portion of the game that is designed from the ground up to help teach about these times in history and to help teach about these cultures and to spread information uh, to kids of all ages because the educational adventures that are within Origins and Odyssey aren't necessarily the M-rated, gory, assassination-filled experiences that we have in other parts of the game the ones that I prefer. Uh, but no, sincerely, it is nice to see gaming being recognized as a way to continue education and to spread knowledge about history, about politics, about sociology. Uh, there are so many utilities for the world of gaming. And this goes back as far as Mavis Beacon's typing simulator, uh, where you gamify the act of learning how to type on a keyboard, and now we see these games that are literally making history a reality, and they are bringing us back to that time. And it really is a much more engaging way for kids to learn. Now, that's not to devalue the value of reading itself, but there is certainly something to be said about playing a game and experiencing something firsthand. But that rounds out today's episode of the Jam Pack Report. If you enjoyed today's show, drop me a like down below and let me know what you think about everything we talked about here today. Did you want to pick up any kind of Cyberpunk 2077 related merchandise or perhaps you are buying the game on day one? I would love to hear what you have to say about that one. What do you think about Spider-Man Miles Morales? Are you a fan of Google Stadia? Would love to see what you have to say in the comments section down below. But until tomorrow, you guys have a fantastic rest of your night. Enjoy EA Play Live and... Peace.